This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome into the BSN Buffs podcast hosted by the wonderful Blake Street Tavern. I am Sam Weaver and I am here with Chase Howell and we are going to take a look at this uh, first Buffs Pac-12 win of the season against Oregon State. Chase, where do you want to start? Uh, it must feel nice for Buffs fans to finally have a dub. Yay! It took took way too long, honestly. So long. Everyone expected it to be within those first three games and it just never happened. Uh, and partly because... The Buffs just weren't able to get it done in those first three Pac-12 games, and finally they were able to pull it out in the fourth quarter, and they actually had their best quarter of the game in that fourth quarter, so that was just really good to see. Yeah, I mean, it was really nice to see the Buffs finally close a game out like that. I mean, you have that big tackle from Leo Jackson where he basically knocks... And Nick uh, Fisher, sorry. Right, yes, also Nick Fisher, but knocks them out of field goal range to keep the game from going to overtime, which I thought was going to happen there for a second, and that was a little stressful, but... um. Yeah, seeing the Buffs close a game is huge. I mean, that hasn't that hasn't happened in three weeks. So, yeah, it was very cool to see, and we got to give credit to Steven Montez. He was, I mean, I was getting texts on my phone after those first three quarters. Montez sucks. Montez sucks, and I was like, "All right, guys, you'll see." And kind of just looks like he silenced the haters in that fourth quarter. He went nine for ten, four for four on that last drive. Just looked pretty much perfect, and. A lot of that credit also has to go to the pass protection. It looked like he had a little bit more time in that fourth quarter to make those throws, and he was just feeling himself in that fourth quarter. I think the Buffs finally came in with the attitude of, like, pardon my language here, F this, we're not going to lose anymore. And I think that was huge. I don't I don't think they necessarily came out with that in the first half, but I think after halftime they came out and they were just like, we are not losing to teams that we are supposed to beat anymore. And that was great. Yeah, it kind of just woke them up. I think they finally realized, hey, we're a pretty good team, but we're not going to be a good team unless we play like it. And that was the first time that they actually acted like they cared to win a football game. When we, we were talking about this, we just watched the last, the most recent episode of Never Stop Rising, and they let all three of those games get away from them. Like, they were in all three of those games, and there were points where they could have won all three of those games, and they were not going to let that happen again. You could kind of see it that that was not going to happen today, even though the first drive of this game against Oregon State was uh, pretty ugly. You had that big, big drop or 
whatever, from Sheffields. Yeah, they did not get off to the prettiest start, that's for sure. Uh, it kind of just looked like that CU team that we've kind of seen over these few weeks, even earlier in the season, just that team that doesn't really care, that keeps on making mistakes. And it just, from that first drive, it kind of looked like it was going to be another one of those games, and it was kind of for a half or so. But, uh, yeah, that Sheffields drop just... Whew, it just sent that kind of message that this was going to be another one of those games. And I mean, he was open on the slant. It was what second and six, maybe wide open, just hit his hands. And you're like, Oh man, here we go again. Clear field ahead of him. Yeah. I think, I think we talked about this a little bit last week, but I think that play with a different player on a different team gets you benched after the way he's been playing this season. And I, I know CU's not going to bench Shea fields, but with, that's not his first drop. That's not his first drop in with like open space in front of him. That's not his first mistake. And it's kind of, it's kind of one of those things where um, we'll talk about this a little bit later when we talk about the younger receivers, but it was kind of frustrating to not see like Juwan Winfrey very much or uh, LaVisca Chenault in there again. And this is, this is kind of going to be my mantra until I get to see the younger guys play a little or the veteran guys play better. And we did see some of that. I mean, Bryce Bobo had a really good game. We'll talk about that a little bit later when we get into hot or not. But Devin Ross, no receptions this week. Like, just I, it's it's still frustrating. It's going to keep frustrating me. I'm going to keep talking about it until it stops, you guys. I'm sorry. Yeah, you bring up Bryce Bobo. Um, I think he reads my Twitter during games because I was really me- <laughs> mean to him in that first, maybe it was the second <laughs> quarter, talking about how lazy he was during the game. And then he came out in that second half and just dominated. And I was like, yep, I knew I knew that all along. I knew that that was going to happen. But, no, he played with a little bit of a different attitude, and he wanted the ball, and Montez was willing to get it to him. By the way, if you do not follow Chase on Twitter, you should at by Chase Howell because he he was he was ballsy this week. You, we, call, we call Shea no play Shea behind his back um, all the time this season. We that That's brand new. That was not last year when he was playing really well. But um, Chase actually tweeted that this week, which was very bold, very bold, very impressed. But uh, well, we consistently talk about these wide receivers, so it just—I mean—it just irritates us at right. some point. And when you see that right up, right at the start of the game, I think it had to be tweeted, and had to be put out there. And then actually, I didn't get any uh, heat for it. I got a lot of likes and a couple of retweets, so I'll take it. I think that uh, I think that we're a little bit bolder on the podcast because we know that the players probably don't take an hour out of their day to listen to the podcast. But when you put it on Twitter, there's a much better chance that they're going to see that we called them no play Shay or that we said something to the effect of I have as many yards and touchdowns as Devin Ross has through the past two weeks. So that's accurate, by the way. And when you see these guys every day, you know, that kind of stuff can uh, end up hurting you in a way. But. Shea Fields, I think, is starting to understand that he needs to step up his game, so no play Shea. I, I've never even been a fan of big play Shea, um, just to come out. That nickname is just kind of lame to me. I like Showtime Shea. That's my favorite Shea nickname. Well, that's a good time, but that's like Showtime Tate. Yeah. Right? Um, I think I think that um, Shea's performance this year has been really upsetting. I think that all of us expected him to come in. Like I, I wrote an article about him in the off season where I was talking about how he was going to come in and he was going to finally break CU's touchdown record, uh, like career touchdown record. And he's in line to kind of, um, make, make all of these like big marks in Colorado history. And 
when I was writing the article, I was like, oh, he's seven touchdowns shy of the record. He's going to break that in the first six, seven weeks. Like there's there's no way that's going to be a problem for him. And then seeing how he's playing now, now I'm like, he's not even on pace to tie the record. No, at this point, he's not going to set any records at CU. I mean, he had a long ways to go in the receptions and receiving yards, but he actually um, had a really good chance at hitting touchdowns. And I think he, he, he can still hit that touchdown mark. I think there's still a good chance with five games left in this season. And five I, touchdowns he needs. I, five touchdowns in five games. I mean, I don't know. That's that's a tough bet if you're putting money on that. But if Sheffields wakes up, if he realizes that that's the number that he needs to set, Maybe he can. Maybe he can do it. I don't know. What but do you he's think? known that he went into this season talking about, like he reposted that article when I wrote it. He like took a picture of that one paragraph where I said that he was going to break um, uh, Nelson Spruce's record is the one that he's going to break. And Shea posted that. He like took a snapshot of that paragraph and posted it, and he tagged Nelson Spruce in it in the off season. And he was like, "I'm coming for your record." Like. That's the attitude I expected him to have going in, especially because this is the year that Shea wants to hear his name called in April. But maybe, like us, he probably thought it was easy. I mean, that's kind of what it looks like, is that he thought that everything was going to come easy to him this senior year, and it really hasn't. And I I was talking to... one of the other BSN writers and I was asking uh, or we were talking about the wide receivers and he was like, you keep putting all this blame on the wide receivers. Do you think any of it goes on Montez? And then after Sheffield's dropped that pass, he texted me and he was like, "Never mind, you were right. It's on Shea. That's not on Montez. And it's not it's not 100 percent on Shea. Montez has overthrown him, underthrown him. There's a lot of stuff that's happened, but. Shea's also had a couple of those passes this year where it like hits his hands or damn near hits his hands like it's within arm's reach whatever and he should be able to come down with it and we're, we're not going to harp on this anymore but I that's that's super disappointing and I think that all that comes back to the attitude that everybody has been talking about being kind of a problem that attitude in that locker room yeah and the thing is um when you drop one of those bang slants as coach McIntyre likes to call bang them, slant. Yeah, that's one of my favorite terms. Yeah, I know. I'm really enjoying that. So uh, that's one of Montez's favorite throws. Like Mm -hmm. he he loves to throw that slant route. And when he thinks that his receiver isn't going to consistently catch that, he's not going to go that way. He's going to go to Bryce Bobo, who seems to be able to catch it every single time. Right. Yeah, Coach Max said that after the game. He was talking about uh, Bryce Bobo and Steven Montez. And he was like, Steven Montez loves to throw that bang slant. And Bryce Bobo is really good at catching it. So they're going to keep connecting on it. And I think the fact that Bryce Bobo had two touchdowns receiving, one touchdown passing, and both of the other starting wide receivers, not not J-Mac, but uh, Devin Ross and Sheffield, were basically quiet for most J-Mac of the night. was quiet as well. He didn't have a reception, I don't think. Oh, yeah, J-Mac was quiet. He, he was open in the end zone one time, and it looked like pass interference, to my eye at least, and there was no flag on that one. But other than that, he had no effect on that game at all. But I don't think J-Mac has a work ethic problem. I don't think J-Mac has this like attitude issue that I'm talking about when I talk about the other wide receivers kind of. So I just, I don't know. I don't know. I thought, I thought that spoke volumes that Bryce Bobo has this huge game and everybody else is really quiet. And even after Devin Ross and Shea Fields are not really involved in the passing game that even in the later parts of the game, we don't see the other wide receivers come in. Like what are what is Shea Fields gonna have to do? Is he gonna have to like 
hand the ball to the other team for him to get like sat so that Juwan Winfrey can take a couple snaps? I don't I don't understand. I don't I mean, I don't have the answer to that either. It's it doesn't make that much sense. Um but Shea has been here for a while. He has started this is fourth year. I mean yeah. you kind of in a way have to give him a little bit more slack I guess is the way but I don't know I think that those guys need to get some more playing time but at the same time it's just tough to take those seniors out especially when Bryce Bobo's had such a good game and the Shea's been around for so long yeah no I totally agree I mean Shea was incredible last year Shea had such a good season last year and I don't know I mean we we talked about this a little bit before the podcast and we're I'm kind of kidding here but I don't know if you guys follow Jalen Jackson who is one of the freshman wide receivers on Instagram but you should because um he posted a picture of like him and LaVisca Chenault and Katie Nixon and Chris Miller yep and Chris Miller um standing on the steps of like one of the dorms or something but it is the coolest photo and all it did was like reaffirm to me that those guys need playing (laughs) time because they are so they're just so cute, you guys. They are like dressed all cute and like I don't they're just they're just awesome. They all have really good style, that's for sure. They do. That that's what I'm trying to say. They all have like they're all dressed really well and they're just like I don't know, it's really cool to look at it and be like, Oh, the future of the buffs. Yeah, that that was a really cool picture. It's uh Jalen the Truth on Instagram if you want yeah. to go follow that. D A Truth. Jalen the Truth. And Jalen, we were both super excited about Jalen. I mean, he was going to redshirt even before his injury happened, but I was really excited just to like see Jalen um, kind of play and stuff like that, not in games, but like practice and stuff like that. And then that injury, man, I mean, we were sitting there when that happened. That was heartbreaking. Yeah, it was heartbreaking for everyone that was there, and it was really heartbreaking for Jalen because he was actually having a really good camp. Um, yeah. He was very happy with his camp, and he was, I think, leading the team in receptions uh, during that spring game before he got hurt so i mean it was just a disappointing moment and i think he has a really bright future but it'll depend on how he kind of heals from that injury because i i saw the x-rays on that thing it is not pretty there are quite a few screws in his ankle and so it will take a while for him to kind of rehab that and get back to full speed when it's back to back to back injuries for Jalen I think that's the other really scary thing for Buffs fans and just like people in general watching him is that he's he's gotten hurt quite a few times but Jalen is like the sweetest kid and he has like this big smile and he's just so nice and I don't know you just you don't want to see that happen to anybody obviously but not Jalen and he's like so cute and I just the, the poor kid just has the worst luck I know two ACLs on your junior and senior season of call or of high school and yeah he, he, it's been it's been a tough go around for him so we i mean yeah. if he can pull this out get back to full fully healthy i mean it'll be a great story i can't wait to write that honestly i'm jealous that you get to write that but he uh he's everybody has good things to say about jalen so i mean that's it's going to be exciting when he finally gets to suit up but yeah that instagram post just confirms to me that katie nixon lavisca chanel need to get some more playing time because I mean they're just they're just awesome on and off the field. That picture was cuz they went to the Broncos game last they night. Did, so yeah. for you Broncos fans, the new freshmen from Texas are are uh trying to join that, I guess is kind of what it is. Katie Nixon and LaVisca Chenault uh from DeSoto and Von Miller is as well. So they have this like connection to the Broncos and it looked like from their Instagram stories like they had some pretty good seats last night. So they're I guess they're they're riding for the Broncos with you guys for now, though I know they're Cowboys fans. Yeah. 
I, I, I mean, they would have to be cowboy. I, actually, Jalen is not, but I'm pretty sure uh, KD is a big Cowboys fan. He also likes OBJ. He likes the Giant. I mean, those guys, yeah. most of them are don't have, like, team allegiances whenever i ask most of them like like quite a few players and watch different teams in the nfl so it's good to see that they're going to broncos games because it's just great to support your hometown team there no i think texas kids are pretty quick to have an allegiance and i think a lot of that is because texas is so big that you have that interstate rivalry between houston and dallas so i think texas kids first time i interviewed katie i was like oh you're from dallas does that make you a cowboys fan and he was like yes ma'am no hesitation just yup and, um, yeah, I think, I think most of the time when you're talking about college players, their allegiances lie more with like certain players. Cause like they want to play like OBJ or whatever it is. So, but yeah. Um, so you can follow Jalen on Instagram, check out that post. It's pretty cool. And, uh, we are moving on. Oh. Um, well, I wanted to bring up the <laughs> pro football focus topics that are right. articles that got posted today. Actually, they ranked, uh, a, I'm pretty sure most of the players in college football gave it a top 25 at each position or top 20 in the case of running backs. I didn't really understand what they were doing with all those rankings because they were kind of all over the board. But they came out with their top 25 quarterbacks through seven weeks, and Montez is sitting there in the top 10 out of all of them at number nine. So it's, I mean, it's just something that I don't think any of us would have expected before we saw that. I don't think Montez is having a bad season by any means, especially given how young he is and how new he is to being like the guy. But um, ninth in all of college football, like not just the Pac-12 or anything like all. No, he was second in the (coughs) Pac-12 behind Khalil Tate, who we know very well. Is Uh, insane. Ahead of Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold wasn't on there. What? Um, I think Luke. Falk might have been on there, but not Jake Browning, if I'm remembering right. Was know. it in a certain area, or was it like overall? No, this was overall grades 0 to 100. Interesting, because that just makes... Okay, why wasn't Sam Darnold on there? He hasn't been playing that well at all. So, oh. this is a good point, though, because I think Sam Darnold and Steven Montez have so many similarities. Mm-hmm. They both have all of the talent in the entire world. They both have crazy good arms, and yet... They haven't quite put that to use. And a lot of that is just expectations. Both of those guys came in with huge expectations. Darnold was the Heisman favorite to most people. And he just hasn't quite played that way. And I think you that goes, you got to point that to the mental side of the game. Um, those guys are young quarterbacks. They're both redshirt sophomores. So they just haven't quite grasped that whole mental side of the game, making reads, making checks, that kind of stuff. Uh, going through your reads, whatever it is, they just aren't quite grasping that fully. And I think that's why they're kind of struggling this year. It doesn't mean that they're bad quarterbacks. It just means that they're still young and still need to grow. Yeah, and we talked um, we talked a little bit earlier in the year about Montez struggling with reads and maybe not making more than the initial one or two when he's on the field and then kind of playing from there and not really letting things develop. Um it still doesn't look like he's going through his progressions completely. Yeah, it still looks like he's not, I don't know, taking in the whole field is almost what it feels like. It feels like he's like looking at where he thinks the ball is supposed to go on that play and that's it. And then he just and like... if not, he runs. Yeah, it looks like he, he maybe has one or two options and then is going to run it. Which right. is fine for, for some quarterbacks, maybe if you're named like Khalil Tate or something. <laughs> but 
Um, for Montez, with all the weapons that he has, when you have four receivers that are really, really good and more on top of that, but you only have four out there on yeah. the field, uh, there's really no point in just staring down one or two guys. If you have a stud, if you're CSU's quarterback, Nick Stevens, he, he lo- loves to stare down Michael Gallup, but that's because Michael Gallup's going to win the ball for him most of the time. He doesn't need to do that with this team. He can look at all of his options. Well, you shouldn't stare down your receiver anyway, just side note. Yeah. But you shouldn't stare down or at least the one you're actually targeting. But I he needs he needs to be better at taking the whole field in. We do think he's gotten a little bit better as the season has progressed in that area. He's still not where he needs to be, obviously, but I think that is what is leading to a lot of the problems with the wide receivers too. I think that's a huge part of it. Yeah, we're going to see um, this week Luke Falk. He is a very, very cerebral quarterback, makes smart decisions, and uh, Coach Leach gives him just about all the freedom in the world as a senior. He can make his own checks. He can do what he wants. And you can kind of see what a quarterback looks like when he's grown with the same coach through four years. And I think that's what Montez will start to look like as he keeps growing. Yeah, I think – Montez had really high expectations this season. One, because he has this like really impressive deep ball, right? He's got this like great arm and you just want to see him like chunk it down the field to Shea Fields all day, right? And then he has all of these weapons around him that should only make his deep ball look better. And then he comes in and that's what's missing from the game. I think it's really hard to take away your wide receivers and your quarterback's biggest strengths somehow. And then, of course, they're not going to play as well as you expected them to. I mean, they need to get that going. They have to get the deep ball figured out again. And it seems like they got it going a little bit with Bobo there, but they got to get it going on a regular basis if that offense is going to be good enough to <clears throat> win enough games to get them to bowl eligibility because the rest of their schedule is nasty. He has some really great deep ball receivers. Devin Ross could be one of the better deep ball slot receivers in college football. He, I mean, he caught a lot of big passes from Sefo Lufau last year and probably I know a f- couple in the Oregon game from Steven Montez last year as well but he he hasn't had that same big playability Shea Fields as we've talked about hasn't had that same big playability even though we know that they have it so it's it's just like at some point it's bound to happen we're bound to see a couple big plays well at some point that's what they need to be doing in practice like I don't want to see you Every time I'm in a photo window, I'm in there for individual drills, so I don't see a lot. But every time I'm in there, it's like they're practicing handoffs to Phil Lindsay or Kyle Evans or whatever it is they're doing. I understand you need to do that, but like really at a certain point, you need to spend the duration of practice just tossing it up to Shay and Devin Bobo. Like that's what they need to be doing because they if they got that clicking, they would be so much more dangerous. You're talking about adding a whole nother like level to the offense. Well, I feel like that's also something that's really easy to do outside of practice. It's really easy for Montez to text Ross and Che and say, "Hey, you want to go throw? I I got to work on this deep ball a little bit." So, yeah. even if it's not if they're not taking care of it in practice, if the coaches don't want to work on that, if they want to work on scheme or whatever, I feel like that's a really really easy thing to just be like, "Hey, like Montez texting Che, "Hey, I, we're not quite clicking on the deep ball." Let's go to work. Let's practice it. When we talked about this last week, when we were talking about kind of the attitude and the fact that of six team captains, none of them are wide receivers, even though J Mac and then three seniors in the starting wide receivers group. But this is one of those things that you guys want to win a Pac-12 championship. You guys want to make it to the NFL in April. That's what you should be doing with your free time. Like the difference between 
NFL players and kids that didn't make the NFL are the kids who are grinding during their free time and like working, sorry, their asses off to like be as good as they can be. Because I promise you, if you are not on that practice field during your free time, there's another kid who is and he's going to take your spot. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, right now the message that's being sent is that they're not going to take their spot no matter what they do. Oh, I don't, I don't mean spot on the roster. I mean spot in the NFL draft because oh, yeah. those kids have all dropped rounds. I don't I don't know if Shea Fields is even on big boards anymore. I haven't checked on that kind of stuff in a while, but I would assume not. He, I mean, there's not a lot about Shea Fields that, um, I don't know, the NFL scouts would be that interested in besides his deep playability, which we haven't seen much of at all. Well, yeah, and I mean, if you're talking about a wide receiver that is going to drop balls that are put in his hand like that, you have to have something to make up for it. And I keep coming back to this um, analogy of like Will Fuller. Will Fuller occasionally drops a football, but do you know what Will Fuller does that makes up for that? He runs a four-one. You know, like and scores Will, touchdowns, right? And scores multiple touchdowns a game apparently now. So Will Fuller is like making up for that in one area. Shea's not like Shea doesn't have that speed that we're talking about. And I mean, I, we keep coming back to dogging on Shea and I don't want to do that, but it just keeps happening. I mean, there are a few places that you can point to this team on why they're struggling. One is definitely the wide receivers. The other is pass protection, which we have tried to cover and then defensive line. So there's three points that we we're just going to dog on yeah. for most of this podcast until they figure out how to fix it. Well, and I think the reason we keep coming back to Shea is because he has been like so much the heart and soul of this receiving core for the past few years since he committed to CU. He's been such a big part of that offense. And to see him kind of silenced over and over and over again, I think is it's almost like unsettling. It's like disconcerting as a CU fan to like watch that and be like, I was one of our biggest playmakers in in Colorado history, because even if he doesn't break that touchdown record, he's going to finish right up there. So I think I think it's unsettling, and that's why we keep coming back to it. Um, let's talk about a different part of the offense for a second. Let's talk about Phil Lindsay got left off of Pro Football Focus's top twenty running backs, which is just utter nonsense. It's, it's really bizarre. I mean, what? Yeah, was it what? What was the criteria for that then? Well, they grade them out, and they grade them off of a bunch of different things that are um, a little too smart for me. I guess is the way to put it. All right. But, um, yeah, they look at a bunch of different things. And the weird part is that Pro Football Focus loves to tweet about Philip Lindsay. I mean, their college Twitter likes to tweet out about how he breaks a bunch of tackles all the time. and They have graphics of him it, all the time. Yeah, like literally once every uh, two weeks. Or they've had probably one form these past two weeks because he's gone off. Yeah. It's like, how did you forget about him again? And then... Um, my boy, since I'm allowed to say that I'm a Notre Dame fan, my boy Josh Adams, um, he's averaging nine yards per carry. Nine. Like, a running lot. backs don't do not do that very often, and he also got left off the top 20 of running backs. So uh, maybe they just have some interesting c- criteria. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, we don't we don't really know what happened there, but we are offended on behalf of all CU fans that Phil Lindsay was left off that list. Um, I think everyone has a right to be pissed off about that. So uh, Khalil Tate was uh, ranked above Stephen Montez, you said? Only Pac-12 quarterback that was above Stephen Montez. So if we look at what Khalil Tate did to Colorado last week, not this past weekend, but the week before when Arizona was here, um, 
I feel a little bit better about that now because for a minute I was just like, wow, that defense cannot stop the run to save their lives. And now it's like, oh, the defense maybe can't stop the run, but also Khalil Tate is just a freak. He is a super freak, and he is so much fun to watch. I was, I mean, it's a little bit more comfortable watching him shred apart a different defense. Yeah. So it was kind of nice just sitting down there Saturday night and watching him just take it to the house anytime he had open field. He finished with, I'm trying to look it up now, but it's pointless. He finished up with like 230 yards rushing, another 150 passing, two rushing TD. It's disgusting. He's at 600 plus rushing yards in the past two games for sure. Yeah, it's, I mean, we were talking about this before the pod. How do you not start him? Yeah, I don't, one. I don't know. We were talking about um, how hard it can be to evaluate quarterbacks because we're talking about Khalil Tate and uh, Dawkins, Brandon Dawkins. Yeah, Brandon, Brandon Dawkins. Dawkins. Um, not great with first names. Y'all forgive me. But um, yeah, we were talking about how do you go into like a fall camp and come out saying like, yeah, this kid's the starter. And we were talking about how hard it is to evaluate quarterbacks in that situation. And I was using the example of um, Tom Savage and Deshaun Watson because I'm a Texans fan. And I was like, how do you come out of training camp being like, yeah, Tom Savage is clearly the answer over Deshaun Watson. And I think when you're talking about quarterbacks like Khalil Tate and Deshaun Watson, you're talking about this like it factor and this mobility that is a lot harder to demonstrate in practice than it is in a game. I I think it's really hard to evaluate a quarterback in practice. There are so many different factors that they're kind of just making it easier on quarterbacks in practice. So you don't know how they would look in a real game. And then in Khalil Tate's situation, like how are you ever going to figure out that nobody's able to tackle him if you're literally not allowed to tackle him during practice or even the spring game? Yeah, you can't blitz quarterbacks. You can't get physical with receivers during practice. Like there's all of these things that basically set you up to start the quarterback that is the best at drills is what it comes down to. Like you're going to end up, until you've seen everybody in game action, you're going to start the quarterback who's the best at running drills. And I think that's a disservice to everybody. But I think it also makes sense, right? Like you don't want to just blitz your quarterback at practice and get him hurt because you're trying to see if he can run when there's like a when the pocket collapses. Yeah, obviously you're not going to like allow tackling to quarterbacks because those that is the most important position. So like you don't want him getting hit during practice, but it just makes it really difficult to evaluate these guys because – most of uh, most of the design, most of the plays are for the quarterback. They usually know what the defense is going to do because they're going up against scout or whatever. So it's just not a proper place to evaluate a quarterback. And you see that with guys like Deshaun Watson and Khalil Tate that come out of nowhere because they were just no one ever understood how good these guys are until they get into a game. I think it's really interesting. I think it's going to be interesting to watch coaches try to um, – like gauge that moving forward because the more of these like mobile guys you see who are basically like quarterback running back hybrids at a certain point the more of that you see the more they're gonna have to find a way to like find that in their recruits and I guess that's gonna be interesting yeah and everybody kind of knew Khalil Tate was a stud just from what he did in high school and also um, he played a little bit last year during his freshman season I think he had one start if I'm correct on that so they kind of knew what he was able to do, but they didn't know he would be this good. I think you're right, Chase. Um, but let's let's move to defensive struggles because that was kind of our Khalil Tate segue. I thought the defense had just totally fallen apart 
in that in that Arizona game. And they they struggled again this week, but it it wasn't as bad. So let's let's kind of talk about where the defense is having problems. It's primarily along the line, to be honest, because Isaiah Oliver, obviously fantastic in the secondary. So let's we were missing our nose tackle this week. Javier Edwards was out. Yeah. Um you're exactly right on that. It's all about the defensive line. That's kind of where most of these football games are going to start. They're, they start in the trenches. And if a team thinks that they can just dominate in you in the run game, they're going to have their way with you as an offense because that's where it all starts. And as you saw this past week against Oregon State, got that got that run game going, and then it was really hard for CU to stop it once they threw in some passes because they had some big put passing plays, but they didn't throw the ball all that much but every time they did they had someone open because CU was so focused on trying to stop that run and that's just what a run a good running team does to you and when you don't have a defensive line that can stop it it just makes it really difficult for the defense to stop the offense at all yeah and I I talked to Evan Worthington today and I asked him so when the defensive line is struggling that much to like get pressure to the quarterback to stop the run and it basically just gives their signal caller so much time, does it make your job harder? And he just kind of like didn't really want to answer me, but was like, yeah, I mean, yeah, it makes our job harder, but it's still on us to go down or like to go out and do our job. And I get that. But at a certain point, the defensive line is putting this secondary who has played so well through this whole season, in my opinion, and putting them in just bad position after bad position. And it's kind of it's kind of unfair and it's kind of frustrating. It's probably incredibly frustrating for them. I mean, Evan Worthington isn't the type of guy that would show it to you in an interview. But right. um, yeah, I mean, when they continually can't get pressure on the quarterback, when they continuously can't stop the run. It, it's like, what are you even doing to help us at this point? Yeah. Um, Leo Jackson had a couple of big plays. I mean, he, he wrapped up some people in the backfield there a couple times. But, um, and I mean, Drew Lewis is still, he did not have a great game on Saturday, but Drew Lewis is still like plenty capable of being a really good player. But it's, I mean, Javier Edwards being out was huge. And having uh, Lyle go in there, George Frazier was in there a couple times at nose tackle, and he's like a tight end offensive lineman combo. And, and then Jace Frankie was in there at nose tackle again. Jace so. Frankie was in there. And then Chris Malumba, maybe the weaker side of that line. So, I mean, we're, we were talking about this last week. They don't have enough depth in that area, and they don't have enough big players in that area. And we don't think they have enough mean players in their trenches. Honestly, Chase and I were talking about this the other day. We were like, they don't have enough mean players in the trenches. And that's what, that's kind of what you need. When you're Do they have many mean players at all? Like other than maybe Philip Lindsay, when he plays Jeremy Irwin, I'd probably give him that when he plays. And Philip Lindsay is like the nicest mean football player I've ever seen in my yeah, life. Both Jeremy Irwin and Philip off the field are really nice guys. But yeah. On the field, they play mean and tough. I don't think yeah. anyone on that defensive side of the ball right now plays quite like that I don't either and I was I was talking to uh you about this earlier but I think last year when we talk about the difference in the attitude of this team we talk about I'm going to come back to Jake's article just because I think you guys love it so much but um when you can like seeing it in the players eyes when we talk about that what we mean is last year when Cheeto walked into a room when Jimmy Gilbert walked into a room when Sefa Luafau walked into a room everybody paid attention and Phil too Phil was a leader last year too and you had all these guys Tedrick Thompson who just were so like heart and soul set on winning and they just brought this mentality to the team and like 
made everybody work harder and made everybody want to win so bad. And when you look at the team this year, it's it's Phil Lindsay. That's the only person I see who has that same fire. I'm not trying to say that like nobody else wants to win. I'm saying like that fire that like rallies your team, that like JJ Watt level of leadership, it's it's missing. Yeah, I'm sitting here trying to think of someone that like kind of acts outspoken. And other than Phil, there there really isn't anyone. Um, Derek McCartney is a really good leader, but not in the same way, not a vocal leader. He leads in different in a different way. So there's, I mean, Foe likes to get vocal at times, but he's not, I mean, we don't see him get into anyone's face very often. Foe's very vocal, like, in his unit. Like, Foe's very vocal in the secondary, I think. And you can see him out there on the field kind of commanding and, like, adjusting um, and stuff like that. But I don't think Foe is the kind of guy who's going to, like, get in the middle of a circle and, like, fire you up the way like I'm gonna keep using JJ Watt just because I think he's like the epitome of that kind of person you know what I mean and like I I just think that that's that's such an important factor to a football team and I don't think that Phil doesn't have that I just think that Phil can't do it alone and I think that's what's happening the other side of that is they don't really have a coach that is kind of that fire Jim very true Jim Levitt had that kind of attitude he was a fiery fiery guy yeah but now that he's gone um Shadon Brown a, a little bit. I'm thinking about the, the defense in particular. Clayton Adams, yeah. I think, has that attitude on the offensive side. But Jeff Coat definitely doesn't. Els doesn't. Uh, the defense Elliot isn't doesn't. angry. Shadon Brown maybe a little bit. But, yeah, they. I mean, they're just not that type of get-in-your-face, scream-at-you type of football guys that you see actually works in football. Well, and I think you need both types of leadership. I'm not trying to knock uh, Derek McCartney or Foe's kind of leadership. I think that's so important, too, because you have to have like a reasonable level-headed person kind of directing things as well. But when you take away what Cheeto Bayouzier brought to this team last year, I just think that, I don't, I don't know. I just, you, you kind of expect somebody else to step in with that fire, right? Like Cheeto leaves. So Sheffield should have turned around and been like, this is my senior season. This is the year I want to hear my name called in April. And I am here and I am like bringing that exact same mentality to the team. And it doesn't have to be Shay. It's just an example. I think Shay would have been good at that, but nobody stepped into that role. And I think that's what the buffs are missing this year. And I think that's what we keep meaning when we keep coming back to the attitude's different. They don't feel the same. The vibe on the sideline is not the same. I think that's what I've been trying to say for like six weeks. They're not ticked off, I think is the best way to put it. Like those guys last year, Sefo, Cheeto, Phil, obviously, they were they were pissed off that they had been losing for so long and they couldn't turn it around and they were ready to finally turn it around and they played like that. They just they just don't play like that anymore. Yeah. Um Jake and I were talking about that the other day actually because I I came to see you last year was my first year here as a student and when I came to see you it was the year they started winning so like I wasn't around for the year before when everybody was dogging on the team and like laughing at them and all this stuff and Jake and I were talking about that the other day and he was telling me that they used to get made fun of like on the first day of class when they said they played for the football team everybody just laughed at them and it wasn't like that's crazy to me coming from a Texas culture that would never treat football players that way. But that makes me have so much more respect for that team last year and for what they did, because it really was just like heart and soul, leave it all out on the field football. And I think that's what made the rise so special. And I think 
this team is capable of that. I think that's what's the most frustrating is that it's not like they're not capable of being the same team as last year because for the most part, they are the same team. Yeah, they lost a couple of leaders. They lost Cepho. They lost their defensive coordinator. They lost Cheeto. I get it. But this team is still capable of having that kind of mentality, and that's the most frustrating thing. Like, if they didn't have any leadership on that team, I would be like, all right, well, they're they're going to lose, and they're not going to be bowl eligible, and I get it. But this team is capable of that, and they need to turn around, and they need to put it all together because they are going to lose their bowl eligibility this year because they are not going – the way they're playing right now, they are not going to beat Utah, USC, um, Arizona State, Arizona State, Washington State. Who else? Cal. Yep. None of those games look good for the Buffs right now. Three of them look particularly bad, and they're not allowed to lose three more, are they? They're allowed to lose three they're more. They're allowed to lose three more, but the other two don't look like they're going to be favorites in them. It just means that they're, they have a little bit of a better chance. So um, Utah, USC, Washington State, all top 20-ish teams, 20-ish. I don't know where Utah is right I now. I didn't even look at the AP poll. Honestly. Utah was 20 last week. So I'm going to say 20-ish teams, all top 25. And, um, I mean, those look like losses to me, just like right off the bat, the way all of those teams are playing. Though this past weekend was kind of weird for Pac-12, but we'll talk about that. Um, but, yeah, so I – I don't know. Those look like losses to me. And then Cal and Arizona State, the way they were playing, those don't look like wins to me. They just look like question marks. So, and and the Buffs have once again left themselves with no wiggle room. So after this weekend, Arizona playing at Arizona State looks like a really really tough game. They played really well against Washington, and that just looked like kind of a tough environment to play in, as it always is. ASU Stadium always is pretty tough environment, and they played really well. They their defense stepped up for maybe the first time like ever and shut down Washington. It, I mean, that's going to be a really tough game and they're probably going to have to beat them to make a bowl or pull one of those Utah, USC, Washington state games right out. Yeah. They're either going to have to upset a ranked team or they're going to have to get in that locker room, decide that they're not going to drop out of bowl eligibility and just like, play lights out for the rest of the season. That's honestly, that's what they have to do if they want to make a bowl. And when, when we're talking about this, I don't think that the buffs losing this season and not being bowl eligible. I don't think that means the rise isn't real in Boulder. I think that that means that the rise has a dip and next year's team has to come back angry. One like blip on the radar of the next 10 years of the buffs can like keep putting it together and keep recruiting well and stuff like that. I'm not trying to say that like the team it's it's just over this year if they don't make a bowl, but it's a huge step down from what they did last year. And I, I don't know. Well, yeah. And it's going to hurt them in recruiting a little bit too. A lot of it. Yes. And what last year they had a really good recruiting class, one of their better in the last few years, but they can't keep that up. If they put up like a five and seven season, it's going to be really different. It's not like they have that great of a recruiting class in place as we sit here right now. And they might even lose a couple of those guys. And by not having a winning season, they're definitely not going to gain anyone off of that. Well, and this is not one of those programs that can handle, like, losing season after losing season and still have good recruiting. Like, the University of Texas always has good recruits because of its legacy. And we've talked about this before. Colorado doesn't have that legacy, really. So, I mean, you talk about, like, the 90s being good and, like, there are a couple of other periods where the Buffs have been good. But the Buffs have never been, like good for a really 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 long time and when they have a bad season like this and they're playing the way they're playing right now I don't 
I don't see a lot of well, people. The problem is, is like most kids remember Texas being good. Like when I was a young kid, I obviously remember Vince Young mm-hmm. and what Texas was able to do and Colt McCoy after that. And so most kids know that Texas can be good. The problem at CU is most kids only know about that one year that they had last year. And before that, they were never good in their mind. Rashawn Salam. Yeah, they, but they don't <laughs> remember Rashawn Salam. Yeah. None of them were born when he was playing. So it's it's just tough for them to really recruit well if they continually have bad seasons. Well, yeah. And I mean, you look at the competition for recruits and you're just like, because um, like especially within the pack, you're looking at Cal and USC and Washington and all of these other schools to go to who have had better records recently. And I mean, if you if you want to go to college, you don't want to go to college and lose football games for four years. You don't want to never go to a bowl game. You don't want to not compete in your conference. Like it, it does a disservice, and it's like a cyclical problem. You lose, you get bad recruits, you keep losing, and the Buffs need to break that cycle. And last year, it looked like they were gonna do that they were on the cusp of it and making a bowl this year would be huge for them and honestly that's my my expectations for the buffs have dropped I thought they were going to be an eight or nine win team this season now I just want them to make a bowl and like keep things from falling apart well yeah the only expectation that you can kind of have at this point is that they make a bowl and no one's expecting them to win out that's for sure and no one's expecting them to probably even go above to win three out of the next five games so yeah I mean if that's the only expectation we can have is for them to make a bowl. Maybe it's all a Coach Mac strategy. You know what I mean? Like maybe Coach Mac is just like, ha ha, I'm hiding all of the good things until the last few games and the buffs are just going to mm, come out and punch everybody in the mouth for the next five weeks. That's a great theory. That's great. <laughs> probably, probably just not true though. That's just what I want. I don't want to watch the buffs lose. It bums me out as much as it bums you guys out. I don't want to watch that happen. But I mean, the one good thing about this, and you mentioned it a little bit, is that it will tick them off for next season. They will come out with a little bit of a different attitude if they end up not making a bowl game. Um, if they do make a bowl game, it'll maybe the narrative will turn around that they kind of had a good season because they yeah. finished well. But if they don't, I think they'll come back a little ticked off. And that's good because they're keeping most of their star players. I mean, they're going to lose Ross, Bubba, Fields, but they're going to – hang on to Steven Montez is going to be a little bit older and wiser, and they're going to hopefully hang on to Isaiah Oliver, Drew Lewis, Evan Worthington, all these kind of playmakers. And then they get that that new group of wide receivers that we're so excited about, and Kabion Ento and Juwan Winfrey and Visca and KD, and just it's going to be amazing, you guys. I'm so excited. Tony Brown, who I am very excited about. I've heard some really good things from him in practice. I keep forgetting about Tony Brown and like, where is he going to fit in that lineup that also has Jay McIntyre coming back? It It's really, I mean, it kind of s- sucks for KB in a way because he was willing to redshirt this season and then maybe next season he might not even get as much playing time as he kind of expects because they're definitely going to start Jawan on the outside mm-hmm. unless they decide to move him to the slot. I'd love to see Jawan in the slot. Because if they move Jawan to the slot, then Visca, KB, Tony Brown will compete to play on the outside. They could also move Tony Brown um, to the inside as well, but I've heard that uh, during practice so far as he's been here that he's been mostly on the outside. So I don't know. That's going to be a really interesting competition between four really good wide receivers, and then you have KD and J-Mac on the inside most likely. It's going to be so good. I I haven't seen Tony Brown practicing at all. 
the whole time I've been here. I've heard some really good things. It's interesting. I need to try to catch him in photo window for you guys. Um, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about um, a couple other things that happened this weekend. Uh, Dante Wigley starts over Trey Udofia, and uh, Coach McIntyre was not super clear about that today. He said that it was a decision that got made because somebody asked, was that Shadon Brown or was that you? And Mac laughed and was like, well, I make all the decisions. And, um, Especially with the defensive backs, I don't think oh, Shadon yeah. Brown. Shadon Brown is more of like one of those assistant guys. He's not really the actual defensive backs coach because that is all Coach Mack. He is in every single defensive backs meeting and with them for most of practice. If you guys go look at any of my photo albums from practice, Coach Mack is only ever with the defensive backs group. I have never photographed him with another group. What? Nope, that's a lie. One time he was watching the wide receivers for like a second and then went over the to the DBs. That's just like. That's Coach Max bread and butter, and that's fine. And I don't know that he would have had that aggressive of an answer to the question had it been about another position group. Yeah. Like if somebody had been like, oh, did you make this decision about the offensive lineman? He probably would have been like, no. But with the DBs, he was like, yes. Absolutely. So, <laughs> Those are my guys. A thousand percent. That is my area. So um, he, he said Trey's played well. Dante's played well. Um, it may just have been that Trey Udofia was still dealing with a little bit of an ankle injury and they were just like better safe than sorry kind of thing. They did have him in on special teams and they did say that, um, <clears throat> or Coach Mack did say, we can have Trey in there at a, at a moment's notice. And he like snapped. And I, I guess that's fair, but I think Trey's played better than Dante. I think Dante has been very good in the like stead of Trey Udofia during his injury, but I think Trey's been better overall. Yeah, Trey has made more big plays, it mm-hmm. seems like. And that's kind of uh, what you want out of your cornerbacks. You want them to force turnovers. You want them to make big plays. That's basically their job. Um, I don't think Wigley's played bad at all, though. I think he's looked pretty good. He, he got burned a couple times this yeah. week, but that happens. That's like part of the position. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. He's young. He's going to get better. I would play Udofia if I'm the coach. Me too, yeah. But... Um, yeah, I think it's good that we see that they have another cornerback option that they kind of like there because I mentioned it at the start of the season that I was like I was kind of surprised that we only saw Udofia and Oliver out there for like the first three games. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think the depth thing is important. I think you can kind of um, <clears throat> maybe give Isaiah Oliver a chance to breathe or uh, Dante or Trey. You can kind of rotate them out. Coach Max said they have been splitting snaps like dead down the middle during practice. Uh, Dante Wigley and Trey Udofia have so. I mean, that's good. You have two players that you trust at that position. That's that's a good problem to have. Um, maybe one of them can learn to uh, play on the defensive line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe one of them yeah. could just Can shift. any of them blitz the quarterback? Yeah, can anybody? any? Actually, can any of you listening blitz the quarterback? <laughs> we are taking applications, guys. Speaking of defensive linemen, let's get into our hot or not, and let's talk about Derek McCartney. Hey. I don't know why I sang it. It inspired well, me. D-Mac's been playing so Derek well. McCartney looked really <laughs> good against Oregon State. Um, it's by far his best game of the year. Mm-hmm. Most of the games he didn't really have even an impact at all. So this was his kind of coming out party. And it's really good to see he had, uh, I think, 10 tackles, a couple QB hurries. He, he definitely put pressure on the quarterback a couple times, which is something that this defense just had not been really able to figure out so far so maybe just maybe he's starting to get a little bit healthier now he's starting to be have be a little bit more mobile out there and he's starting to make some plays like the Derek McCartney that we know and love so much 
Yeah, I, I think Derek McCartney, like you said, he's finally getting his confidence back, his burst back from that ACL. And I think that's great. And I think he will definitely help to shore up part of that line. But, man, that is just – that is ugly in a lot of ways over there. It's kind of bumming me out. But um, let's talk a little bit about Evan Worthington, who was uh, – nominated for Pac-12 player of the week this week he had an interception he had um 12 tackles so many tackles I couldn't remember exactly how many 12 that that's just insane for a safety honestly I I couldn't believe that when I'm looking at the stat sheet well like I was watching him just rack it up rack it up and yeah when I looked it up up, up. right at the end (laughs) of the game I knew he'd be like right around 10 and I look at the end and I'm like oh my god 12 tackles for safety it's insane, but it also means that um, the running back got to the second level way too many times. Yeah, it means that the defensive line was basically just parting the sea to like let people through, and the DBs had to do all of the work. Um, but Evan Worthington is the man again. He looks so good this year. It's so exciting. Um, I talked to him today. He's not the the chit chattiest person in the world, but. Um, he he's like pretty confident in what he's doing and he knows what he needs to do. He knows what the defense needs to do moving forward. And I'm, you should get an article about him in the next day or so. I kind of feel bad because I said that no one on the defense plays angry. I think Evan Worthington plays angry. I think that's fair. He's not an angry person, but when he's on the football field, he plays angry. I think that's true. I think Isaiah Oliver is kind of angry out there too. Maybe not like lights out angry, but Isaiah Oliver's, I mean, he's just so good. Um, Okay, so let's switch to a not for a second. Let's talk about uh, the rest of the defense, basically, is on our not list. Not not the DBs, but the line. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we, we talked a bit about the defensive line, but Chris Malamba, Leo Jackson. I thought Lyle Tuliloma played pretty well um, for the job that he had to do. He's not used to starting. He's not used to playing a bunch of snaps, and he played a lot more snaps than he's ever played. And he looked good. He plays – he doesn't have the – the body of like a normal Pac-12 nose tackle, but he plays so hard out there, and he plays with that kind of attitude that I'm going to get to the quarterback that no one's really plays with other than him. Yeah, I think I think uh, he had a good game this weekend. I think since we're talking about the not column, I'm going to talk about um, Chris Malumba being like a huge liability on that line, and it just week after week it becomes more and more obvious, and I think that there's got to be somebody else on that depth chart who at least deserves a shot at being better on that yeah, line. The sad thing is clearly there isn't because they would have tried something. I mean, he's I been guess. starting since the first game of the season. He hasn't uh, improved. Well, I guess he's improved, but he just hasn't um, given you any reason to believe that he is a starting defensive lineman in the Pac-12. And he's really young, and he's a JUCO transfer. He's from Finland. He hasn't played that much football in his life, so you kind of expect that, but I think they kind of put him in a in a bad position as the starting defensive lineman. I think that puts a lot of pressure on a kid that just hasn't played that much football. I don't know. I mean, I'm there's there's just gotta be there's like really not any other options. I like pulled up the depth chart to look at it to be like who yeah, should be there. Sometimes you instead. have to like, and I'm like, I, nobody, nobody. Like seriously, they probably wish they had Frank Umo. I mean, Frank Umo. Yeah. That's got to be frustrating. Jacob Collier hasn't been playing super well Mm-mm. in the snaps that he's been in either, which has been disappointing. I mean... It's kind of... Um, during his post-game interview after the CSU game, when he had an insane game and was really good, he was asked, like, did you notice any difference between 
the college level and the high school level in terms of offensive linemen. He was like, mm, they're a little bit bigger, but really they're not that much different than the high school linemen that I had to go up against. <laughs> and I think he's starting to realize that in the Pac-12, it's a little bit different than yeah. the linemen that <laughs> CSU have. Yeah. And he has to pull out some different moves. He's, I mean, he's not that big of a guy. So as he starts to figure out his ways to get past those big guys, mm-hmm. um, I think he'll get better. But, yeah, he's been struggling in the Pac-12, and I think that's just him showing his young age. All right. Uh, another position group this week, not a specific player necessarily, but another position group on our not list this week, the right tackle position, not left tackle. We, we switched right. it. Okay. So um, talk a little bit about that, Chase. We saw some Isaac Miller. Yeah, they clearly haven't found their guy at right tackle, which is a serious issue after seven games into the season. I mean, Aaron Hagler was supposed to be that guy. Everyone thought he was going to be that guy. He started a bunch of games last season, and he just hasn't been the same guy this year. And I don't think they really know why that is. So they've been trying out Isaac Miller, who has played well at times, but he's not um, big. By any means, and he doesn't move that well for a Pac-12 lineman, in my opinion. So he's definitely been struggling. They tried Hagler. They tried Miller this past game. They tried Kaiser earlier in the season. We haven't gotten to see that much Josh Kaiser of late. But it's just a position that they can't quite figure out right now. And talk about a big hole on your line when you're talking about a relatively young quarterback trying to like figure everything out, basically. It's huge. Right, and it's the big reason why... They can't pass protect very well. I mean, how many times does someone just come free up that right side of the line, whether it's Tim Lenat sometimes or most of the time it's that right tackle. It's them flying around the right tackle and getting a shot on Steven Montez. Well, and let's, then he has to scramble. Exactly. Let's talk about how that right there eliminates your deep game. If you do not have the time in the pocket to allow your wide receivers to get deep downfield – how are you supposed to have a deep game? It's, you can't. It's very true. The only way is when Montez scrambles, and he has tried sometimes, but they, I mean, it just doesn't seem like they're getting open when he scrambles. Exactly. It seems like they're, they're miscues, the wide receivers and Steven Montez's. It's like every time Steven Montez scrambles and has a second for them to get downfield, they can't get separation. And every time they have separation and they're just standing there waiting for the football with nobody anywhere near them, Steven Montez is like getting too much pressure to even get them the ball. There's just there's no middle ground, and that's been the big problem, and they have to figure out a way to like tip those scales. And I think that all starts at finding a right tackle that works. And I think, in my opinion, it has to be Aaron Hagler to be that guy because he was supposed to be the guy. And as a redshirt freshman last year, he played pretty well. And then this year as a redshirt sophomore, has not looked the same, and he's supposed to be that guy. I don't care who it is. I like I, I agree with you. I think that Hagler is like pretty – pretty much the most like obvious candidate for that position but they just have to figure it out because it's not fair to Steven Montez and it's not fair to Shea Fields and it's not fair to Devin Ross um, or Philip Lindsay because they love running the, up or the Philip left Lindsay, side that's so true is that what we're going to talk about next is Jeremy Irwin on the hot list we can talk about Jeremy Irwin well. on the hot list um they the buffs love to run to the left side of their line and there's a big reason for that and his name is Jeremy Irwin he's mm-hmm. been very good since coming back from his suspension graded out as the top uh I, I think it was offensive lineman in the Pac-12 last week okay. I don't know what his grade was this week but uh on that list that we were talking about I think they did top 20 for the for uh the tackles 
and he was tied for 19th. I don't, why did they switch from top 20 to top 25? That just confuses me. They top. I, I don't know. The only thing I can think is that they like didn't have enough candidates to fill the top 25. Like they felt like they dropped a tier. Is all I can think of because I do that sometimes if I'm like doing. Well, you know. but if they had a top 25 running backs, I assume Philip Lindsay is probably on that. But they just went with top 20, and now yeah, he's that's weird. Now he's not. So anyway, Still he was. Offended. Tied for 19th um, out of all tackles in college football right now, which is really good. He's was one of the high higher rated uh, NFL draft prospects on this team heading into the season, so it's kind of expected. But it's looking like a real possibility that he's going to be able to get drafted this year. Yeah, I mean there are plenty of teams in the NFL that need offensive line help, starting with mine. But um, <laughs> let's uh, <laughs> let's talk about my team. The Eagles could use a tackle as well. Lane Johnson was out this past week, and their backup is just horrible. At least your tackle isn't under contract currently and sitting at his house because he's holding out for more money. Yeah. Dwayne Brown, if you're listening to this, because I know that's what you're doing with your free time, um. Get your ass on the football field. <laughs> You're ridiculous. Go protect Deshaun Watson. Sorry, not to switch that up on you guys. Um, let's continue <laughs> with the hot list. Let's talk about the man who had the big game this weekend, Bryce Dwayne, Bobo. Dwayne Brown, the biggest BSN Buffs podcast listener we know. If Dwayne Brown listens to this <laughs> podcast, then like many of my life goals have been accomplished, honestly. So um no, we're we're gonna talk about Bryce Bobo. We're not we can talk about Dwayne Brown. If you, you guys don't want to hear that, though, let's talk we, about Bryce Bobo. We talked a little <laughs> bit about Bryce Bobo. Uh, he reads my tweets during the games. So that's the reason why he, he came out and did what he did in that second half. Uh, Bryce Bobo had a great game this weekend. 126 receiving yards and two touchdowns, in addition to tossing a touchdown to quarterback Steven Montez. Um, I love Bobo in that little, not wildcat, like uh, reverse. The, yeah, just yeah. whenever he's yeah. throwing the ball. I like I like him in that in that position. He did the same thing against USC last year. Yeah, USC, yeah. and they ran that play. I think it was against Washington or Arizona, but I'm pretty sure it was Washington. And he just ran with it and broke. It. Like it looked like he was going to lose ten yards, and then ended up breaking like four tackles and gained like two yards off of it because he didn't. I don't think anyone was open. So they obviously like running that play to Bobo. I do think it's interesting that. They don't design a play for Jay McIntyre to throw the ball because he was the high school quarterback. Bryce Bobo actually played wide receiver in high school. But, I mean, Bryce Bobo seems to love that play, and Coach Mack likes to call him or say that Bobo thinks he's Michael Vick. He said the same thing last year after he did the USC. Yeah, that was so – and he said it in the weirdest way. He was like, he thinks he's Michael Vick, but he will never be. I'm just like, all right. All well, right. he's a wide receiver. <laughs> he's not really Michael yeah, Vick. So. He's not supposed to be. <laughs> um, so I, I was, I was just pulling this up because I needed to know how big this spread is between Bryce Bobo and Shea Fields. Um, Bryce Bobo has five touchdowns, 432 yards on the season. Shea Fields has 378 yards, two touchdowns. Bryce Bobo looked like a number one wide receiver yesterday or Saturday. That was like one of the first games this season where I've been like, mm, Bryce Bobo getting it. So that game was really good for his draft tape. Honestly, it was very good. If he's trying to go to the NFL, it just looked like he couldn't be stopped one on one, which is kind of what you want to see. Whatever route they ran, whether it was that bang slant route, the stop route. It just seemed like they were finding the ball, or Montez was getting the ball in his hands, and it looked like Montez likes to find like his favorite target in a game. He's of had, the day, yeah, yeah. He's had like Shea Fields in the earlier games, and he had Jay McIntyre in these last two games, yeah. and then in this game he has Bryce Bobo, which is kind of an interesting th- 
thing to do when you have so many weapons, but it's really good when they want to rack up their stats. Well, it's it's interesting because going into this season, I would have personally said, and I know that there are people out there who disagree with me, but I would have personally said, Sheffield is far and away the best and most complete wide receiver on this team. Like, far and away, in my opinion. And then um, Bryce Bobo was ranked higher on some of the preseason like draft boards that happened, and I... Bryce Bobo looks like the better wide receiver right now. He's, I mean, he's got the size over Shea for sure, but I don't know. I, I always thought Shea was better, and Bryce just looks really good right now. Yeah, I think you're exactly right on that. Um, I would have said the same thing. I was, I've was, i never been that impressed with what Bryce Bobo is able to do unless it's a one-handed catch. Against Oregon. Yeah. So <laughs> or, beautiful. Or the one against CSU. Literally right. any one of his catches. He he makes impressive catches and he has sure hands, but other than that, he's never really impressed me. This game definitely impressed me because it just looked like they weren't able to cover him, and that's kind of what you want to see because it seems like they most teams have been able to cover these guys. They've been able to blanket them, and you, it's nice to see someone finally kind of reverse that. Well, I think the reason that we all feel that way about Bryce Bobo, about him being the secondary wide receiver to Shea Fields, is because of stuff like this. 126 yards was a career high for him. And it's only the second time in his career that he's eclipsed 100 yards receiving in a game. And I mean, you look at that statistically and it's like, oh, that's that's why Shea's always been better because Shea is consistently breaking 100 yards in games and scoring and stuff like that. And I think that, I don't know, I think that a lot of that is Bryce getting the opportunity this year, but I definitely think that um, Bryce is doing himself some favors as far as the NFL draft, and and I don't really think anybody else is. But we do want to give a quick shout-out to the Blake Street Tavern. They sponsor our fantastic podcast and are just a wonderful place to watch Buffs, Buffs games if you are in Denver and you can't make it out to Folsom Field or if the Buffs are out of town and you want to go watch the game with your friends. Um, they have great food. They have great beer they have a full bar they have a game room they have all of the wonderful buffs shirts and uh gear that you could ever want and it's just a really fun fun place to watch the games yeah it's going to be a late one this week 8 30 p.m which is a good time to go to the bar as it always is. it's a good um, time to go to the bar but and i will try to make it to blake street tavern i plan on going to the du hockey game as most of you guys know i also cover du they play this week at home both on friday and saturday so i plan on going to both their games and i'm going to try to make it over to the blake street tavern right after watch the probably the second half with you guys and enjoy that game i'm going to try to get over there this weekend too um chase you can come find chase or myself and talk to us if you would like to um we love talking football with you guys so feel free to oh and basketball by the way basketball season about to start chase and media I are day be, on wednesday let's go hey, chase and i are gonna be on that beat for you again uh basketball this year uh media day for the buffs men's basketball and women's basketball teams is on wednesday so. yeah we apologize for the lack of coverage but if you haven't noticed it's just me and sam that do pretty much everything so it's yeah. tough enough for us to cover football as it is but um we're going to pick up on the basketball coverage, and we'll definitely be, well, yeah, we'll, we'll be there on Wednesday. We're going to figure it out. We're we're going <clears> to, <throat> we've been trying to give you guys as much football coverage as possible while basketball is still in their preseason time frame, but as they shift into things getting going and things really uh, starting up over there, we are going to start splitting some coverage. We'll, we'll get somebody over there to do all the basketball stuff for you. It'll I'm either ex- be... 
Chaser myself or we may have somebody else doing it. Yeah, we'll, not sure. we'll see if we can pick someone up on free agency. But I'm <laughs> personally really excited for this basketball season. I think it's going to be a lot of fun with the young freshmen that are going to get to play. They're going to have to play m- more freshmen than uh, I think Tad Boyle probably ever has during his Kinley tenure. Wright and George King is going to be the most exciting thing in the world. Yeah, you guys don't even know how good they're going to be. There's so many talented players on this team that mm-hmm. we, we don't know much about, which it yeah. makes it really, really fun. McKinley Wright and then Naaman Wright, I'm really excited to get to watch play. Uh, he transferred from Mizzou, so he had to sit out Didn't last get year. To play last year, yeah. Yeah, so this is his first year. The Wright brothers—they hate that nickname. By the way, do not call them that. They really? do not appreciate it. <laughs> I've seen some—I've t- seen some tweets about it. I'm I think it's the basketball team doing it, though, not, uh, not them. Like, yeah. All right, don't call them the Wright brothers. <laughs> Name and Wright, McKinley Wright, and then I like Deshaun Schwartz. I think he's going to be really Dom good. Dom Collier. Dom Collier. So yeah, we're we're excited for the basketball season. That's for sure. It's going to be really good. I mean, we went to. I don't know if you went with me. I went to one of the basketball practices that they had over the summer before they went overseas and went to Italy. And um, McKinley Wright was like fresh on that court, man. It was like the second day that they were out there. And he is like in control of that team already. And it was kind of crazy. Yeah, to watch. you can see the leadership abilities that he has even during practice, even during the first week of practice. I, I, I went to one of those. I wasn't there with you, but mm-hmm. I did go to a couple of those practices in yeah, he just—he's something special. He really is, and they have some special freshmen that are going to be really exciting to watch. Well, and George King has always been a leader of that basketball team, but George is not the most vocal person in the world on the court, off the court. Just in general, he's not like a super loud person. And Tad Boyle has even said that he's like George King doesn't talk that much on the court. But um, McKinley Wright comes in; he's going to make up for the other side of that leadership that they yeah, need. And Dom Collier is a quiet guy as well. He's their other. Dom senior. Collier is a quiet guy. He, 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 he's just—they're he, both. So good Deleon leaders. Brown. There's a lot of quiet guys on yeah. the basketball team. Tori Miller, but I think this is going to be a different year. It's going to be good. Um, most of the seniors that left last year were—it was more of a positive. That they're gone now, other than Derek White. So yeah. it's nice they have a fresh look team. Oh no, Derek! I I'm forgot. gonna I'm gonna enjoy it. So. It's going to be good. We're going to we're going to bring you guys um, all of the basketball coverage. We'll start talking about basketball more on the podcast, too. As things get going, it won't be all football all the time anymore. We may we may even just add a day. That's a yeah, basketball we're probably going to do a basketball pod. Yeah, we can do that. Um, but yeah, if you if you guys want to talk to us about stuff, if you want to talk to us about football, basketball, whatever you want. If we are not covering a sport that you want some coverage on, just holler at us and we will figure something out for you. Well, we'll see. I don't. Well, okay. I mean, if you want some I'm women's basketball s- coverage, we can w- do that. Women's we're not, basketball we're not, for sure. I'm yeah, that that's more what I meant. I'm not gonna go like watch the golf team. I'm sorry, Chase might go watch the I'll golf go watch team the for golf you. Team, yes, I'm absolutely. not gonna go do that. I'll Chase watch women's it. golf or men's golf. I enjoy both of them. Chase loves women's golf. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Um, I will not go and watch skiing though. That's probably the one that I'm. Yeah, like. actually, there's a lot of sports that I won't go watch. So I really was just offering for women's basketball. Yeah, I should have been more clear. Should have just. Not, I'm sorry. Yeah, we we're gonna try to do a little bit of women's basketball coverage this year. We've been a little uh, heavy on the male sports. Um, in the past season, in my opinion. So I'm going to try to get a little women's basketball in there for you. Uh, obviously, Kennedy Leonard is fantastic, and we did a feature on her last year, and she's great. But Everybody loves Kennedy. Kennedy's great. She's just awesome. Um, they, they also have some really good freshmen mm-hmm. that just arrived that are going to be exciting to watch. So, yeah, they're going to be a good team as well. We'll get we'll get a basketball pod together for you guys. Um, but 
if you want <laughs> to talk to us on Twitter, I'm not going to offer to cover more sports teams because I already don't sleep. So if you want to follow us on Twitter at BSN Buffs, on Instagram at BSN Buffs, on Snapchat at BSN Denver, or uh, Chase or myself on Twitter at Samantha N. Weaver or at by Chase Howell. Um, you can start a conversation with us, DM us, at us, start all the arguments, yeah. whatever you guys want to do. We're here to talk to you. At some point, I'm going to probably see it. So, Yeah, we, 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 we get the notifications. We'll get back to you. My Twitter's been weird. I don't know about you guys, but I don't get all of the notifications that I should. And I, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. I think Twitter's it. been acting weird recently. <laughs> anyway. All right. That's, uh, I think that's all we have for tonight. Chase, you... No. Okay, that's all we have for tonight. Um, you guys can uh, check back with us a little bit later in the week. We will have another podcast out in a couple of days, and I think uh, Ryan Koningsberg is going to be on it. Hey, hey, RK's back. Yeah, we're podcasting from the Blake Street maybe Tavern. Ali, I don't know. I don't know if Ali's going to be there. We'll see. We haven't we haven't talked to Ali. You'll, all have, I have, you'll have something special later this week. That's going to be that's good. all we have. So. It's going to be a good one. But um, for now, for BSN Buffs and Chase Howell, I am Sam Weaver. You guys have a good day.